welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Amen. Who's ready to get to work this morning? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 23. I think we'll park it there for just for a second, and then we'll come back at the end and we'll, we'll, we'll minister. Psalm 23, they'll put it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, your tablets, your phones, however it is that you came to read the living word of God, if you're at Psalm 23, just give me an amen. Some of you say, I know Psalm 23 so well, I can just say amen. I don't even need to turn there. The Bible says this in Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, that the Lord is my shepherd. In the first week, we discovered the fact that a shepherd's purpose is to protect, to direct, and to provide. And when we understand that the shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, is here to protect to direct and to provide, then we understand what David said, and I shall not be in want. So the shepherd's purpose is to make sure that you're at full capacity in every wake and turn, at every part, portion, and pace of your life. So the the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is important because the idea behind this is that he, he makes me lie down not by submission. The Lord's not causing you to be into this submissive place that you have to lie down, but it's the fact that he makes sure that every condition of your life is met, that you have no other choice than want to want to lie down in green pasture. And so he frees you from everything that would cause you to be in a place of, 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 of friction and tension and, and uncertainty and fear. And so when, the, when you understand that the good shepherd frees you from all fear and all conditions of worry and all things that you feel like could easily overwhelm you because he is with you, it causes you to know and understand that you can rest in the presence of the shepherd. He goes on and, and he says, and he leads me beside still waters. How many know the, the Lord has still waters for you to drink from? And this is important because the still waters is where we get refreshed. It's where we get revived. When we, when we drink of the water of God's word, it not just only fills us, but it gives us what we need so that we can continue the journey to where the Lord is leading us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Lord has a journey for your life and where he is taking you. The Lord wants you to understand that he has good things prepared for you, great things prepared for you, a purpose that's set before you. Your best days are the ones that are ahead of you, not the ones that are behind you. And so as you go on this journey, I'm here to tell you that the journey of salvation, it's not going to be easy, but it will be fruitful. Salvation was never designed for it to be easy. It was designed for it to be fruitful. And when I trust and I know that the Lord is with me, and the Lord even leads me to drink of the still water so that I can be refreshed, it reminds me that as I continue to step foot, that everywhere that I go, I've got what it takes to make sure that I fulfill the journey that's ahead. I'm here to remind you, you have what it takes. Why do you have what it takes? Because you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. For greater is he that is where? In me than he that is where? In the world. I can do all the things that Christ allows me to do because it's his strength. It's his anointing. And so he fills me up so that I know I can keep on moving. I just want to encourage you, keep on moving. If you feel like you're going through hell, keep your foot on the gas. You'll drive right out of it. Keep on moving. The Lord is with you. And that's why David, he goes on and he says this. He says that you lead me on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In other words, he's leading you on a path, but he knows that that path is going to take you to the place of promise. So much so, he'll put his name on the line. He signed the certificate and said, listen, Understand this, the path that I have for you, it's going to get you where you need to go. It might not be easy. It might be a little bit challenging. But I promise you, if you're faithful, if you're steadfast, that's why I love what David says, you make me sure-footed as a deer. Everywhere that I step, my steps, they are ordered of the Lord. So much so that the Lord says that I put my name on the line. Isn't that great? 
He put his name on the line when he was willing to go for the cross for us. Come on, he put his name on the line when he rose from the grave and allowed us to have that resurrecting power. He put his name on the line for you so that you could have the abundant life that comes through him and in him alone. Thank God that he was willing to put his name, risk his neck for you and for me because that's the good shepherd. The good shepherd always goes before the sheep as he's leading them to where he's promised. Thank God that we have got an incredible creator who is willing to go before us, to guide us, to direct us. That's why he says, often or yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Your rod and your staff, it's with me because you, you comfort me. The good shepherd comforts you. He's with you every step of the way and he's leading us to a place that is called the table. And there he's prepared that table. And it's an awesome table. We enjoyed the table two weeks ago. I enjoyed the table two weeks ago. <laughs> he anoints my head with oil. Our cup, it runs over. Surely goodness and mercy follow me. They're with me all the days. Somebody say all the days. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Somebody say forever. forever. And so as we put our attention on verse 6, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to share with you this morning, with our time together, four things about the house of the Lord. Because I think it's important that if we don't understand the house of the Lord, it doesn't matter what you declare when you say, I dwell. I want to know where I'm dwelling. I want to know why I'm dwelling. I want to know what I'm dwelling in. And if we don't answer these questions, or at least ask these questions, then we can say that we dwell all we want. But if we don't understand the house that we are to dwell in, then we'll miss what the whole purpose is of what David is talking about in this psalm. We, we, we ourselves won't remain in the house. Because the word dwell, by the way, means to remain. David says, I will remain. And I love that because he starts off with a confidence. He doesn't say, hopefully that I'll remain. He doesn't say, maybe I'll remain. Possibly I'll remain. He says, I will. He makes a declaration and says, I will remain. I will dwell. Come hell or high water, I don't care what tries to separate me from my God, I will remain in his house because his house is the place that he has prepared for me. The Bible talks about the fact that the house of the Lord inside of it is filled with many mansions. Who do you think those mansions are for? For me and you. They're for us. He has a place for you, not just at the table. But he has a dwelling place for you, for you to be able to abide. That's why I love Psalm 91. He says, abide under the shadow of the Most High God. I want to abide under the shadow of the protector, the director, the provider, the one who gives me life and gives it more abundantly. And so David says, I will. Have you ever been so sure about something? Because you know, no matter what the situation is, I will. David was so certain about this that I will, I will dwell, I will remain in the house of the Lord. But we have to ask this question this morning. What is, what is, what, what, what is the house of the Lord? Because it's beautiful in the way that David has declared it, in the way that it is written. But if I don't know what the house is or even how to get in it, then why am I even declaring it? Turn with me, Matthew chapter 21 this morning. Ma Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives us a definitive answer on what the house of the Lord is. We're going to look at Matthew 21, verse 13. I'm going to actually start in verse 12. In Matthew 21, verse 12, it says this, then Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables 
of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, here it is, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You see that? Jesus says, it is written, my, my house. He just made it personal. He took possession of what his house is. He says, my house, my house is a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. And so we understand what's happening is that Jesus, he goes inside the temple, and when he steps foot into the temple, there are different religious leaders, and while they are there, what they are doing is they are changing out money for people that were traveling from other nations, that were actually also serving other gods, were coming in with their money that had pagan idols and faces imprinted on this money, and in the house of the Lord, they are exchanging money with other gods that are on it, with the religious leaders, and what's happening is that they are they're undercut, undercutting them as they're exchanging their money. Have you ever gone somewhere and you had to do a money exchange and they didn't give you the value of what the mighty dollar is really actually worth? And they shortchange you what you should actually get? And what they're doing in the temple is, as the religious leaders are exchanging the money, they're taking the kickback of the remaining value and they're putting it in their pockets. And so what happens is Jesus steps in and he sees this. And he sees that this is not a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a house of business. What you've done is you've used the presence of my Father to exploit your purpose, rather than to exalt his presence. Can I tell you this morning... Be careful who you do business with in church. Because one way to remove the presence and the blessing of God out of your life is when you start doing business with one another. This house is a house of prayer, not a house of business. This is a house of worship, not a house of business. You can save your business plans for outside of the house. I laugh. You think I don't know? People coming in here, you got... All these side businesses, working with people, networking with people. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of worship. This is a place that we encounter the presence of the Lord. I'm here to exalt him, not exploit him. And what is happening is that these religious leaders, they are exploiting. They are using the presence of God to make money off of the people. In addition to that, it's filled with all of these animals and the significance of the animals that what we begin to find out in this house is that these were not considered actually clean animals deemed worthy of sacrifice they were selling contaminated animals and allowing the people to think that they could go in and, and present a holy offering a common offering can I just charge you with this don't come before the Lord with a common offering because it's something that you think that you need to do come in with expectation that the Lord would bless you an offering of significance an offering where your heart and your faith is attached to it because when you enter into that secret place before the Lord and you present your tithe and you present your offering which is holy unto him he moves with a blessing beyond measure but they were telling the people you don't need to sow a significant offering it's just, a, it's just a check off the box to do this. And Jesus comes in and he says, how dare you change the terms of the house? Who are we to come in and try and change the terms of the house? His temple, his terms. Let that sit for a moment. When we come to worship, we worship on the terms of the Lord and how the Bible illustrates and tells us the way that we should worship and how we honor and how we praise and how we come before him. His temple, his terms, Jesus comes in and says, you have made this a den of thieves. The most important thing that you have stolen away is the hearts of the people from the Lord. But my father's house is a house of prayer. The word prayer, it comes from the, 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 the Hebrew word prosukamai. Prosukamai means to not just pray, but it also means to worship and give your life as an offering. So as people are coming into the temple, as we come into this temple, to this house of worship, our heart is that we're seeking the Lord in prayer and in worship and in offering. And Jesus says that you have totally thrown shade on what the purpose of this house is. But I'm here to tell you today 
that this house is a house of prayer. What does Jesus go on to do? He had enough time to go out back, braid a whip together, come back inside, and whip the daylights out of everybody that was in the temple doing wrong. Flips over the, 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 the tables. But here's the beautiful thing. He chases them out. And the Bible says, I want you to see this this morning. The Bible says, in verse 14, now let's back it up. He says this, verse 13. It is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Why is that so significant? Because the moment that you remove what's wrong out of the temple, the miracles can begin to flow. And Jesus knew this, my house, if miracles, if signs, if wonders, if it's a place of the supernatural, if the anointing is going to flow, what does not belong needs to get removed. And I'm here to charge not just you today, because I'm not just, by the way, I'm not just preaching to you, I am preaching to your children I am preaching to your children's children. I am preaching to generations down the line today that we are still the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall walk in blessing. We shall walk in wholeness. We will be a church of the supernatural. Even if you can't get it together, I'm already speaking life into your children right now. Nothing broken, missing, and lost in our children. Miracles to flow in the house. The supernatural to flow. And so blind eyes are open. The lame begin to walk because Jesus cleared the crap out of the temple. Some of y'all got to clear some crap out of your house. You're wondering why you're not seeing your marriage is blessed? You might need to clear some stuff out. You're wondering why your children are turning everything that has to do with the Lord off? You might need to change the way that you speak. I've preached this before. Malachi 3 talks about present the tithe and the offering to the storehouse. He'll rebuke the devourer. But what we fail to realize is Malachi 2. That says, how dare you come to the temple presenting an offering, but you deal with your wife treacherously? So if you mistreat your family, I don't care how many tears you have at the altar, the Lord ain't going to bless that mess. Because it's not pure. That's why he says in Matthew's gospel, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. So you can come in crying all you want, but you won't see the Lord if your heart's not pure, if your life's not right. That's why Saul got removed from being a king. Oh, I got my preacher on me now. That's why Saul got removed as king. Because the Lord said, I'm raising up a man after what? My own heart. So it starts with you having a pure heart for the heart of the king. And when you have two hearts lined up, the blessing will flow in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your future. So the house of the Lord, it's a house of prayer. It's a house of worship. It's not a house of entertainment. It's not a house of production. N don't get me wrong. I love events. I love outings. I love gatherings. I love all the things that we do for fellowship. But first and foremost, before fellowship, it's worship. We are a house of worship first. Seeking the Lord. So his house is a house of prayer. So when David says, I will remain in the house. What is he saying? I'll remain in the house of worship, which means you have to worship, which means you have to pray, which means you have to come before the Lord. And this is not a one day of the week thing. This is not a Wednesday night thing. This is not a Sunday morning thing. This is a daily thing. This is daily. I come before the Lord because I want to remain in the house, and in his house is where the blessings are. I want to be under the blessing, which means i got to be under the anointing, which means his temple, his terms. So let's ask the question, what are his terms? How do I get into the house? Because David can't make a statement that I will remain in the house if we don't have a roadmap or an outline of how to even get into the house. You can want to get into the house of your dreams all you want, but if you don't know the steps to take to get there, you'll never step foot inside the property. And the Lord knows this, and he wants you to remain in his house, so he's going to give you a road map. Let's turn to Psalm 100 really quick. We were sharing this the other night on Wednesday night in service. The Lord began to give us some insight into this. The Bible says this in Psalm 100. Psalm 100. 
I'm actually going to start in verse 1, but our answer will come in verse 4. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Can you serve the Lord with gladness? Not with madness, not with sadness. With gladness. I think it's time that people know that the church is happy. It's okay to smile. You have permission. He has made me glad. Gino, that turtleneck made me glad this morning. That birthday turtleneck. Said you are so bold in the middle of summer. I got to get you a chain. Turtleneck and chain. Come on, Rancine. Serve the Lord with gladness. Here it is. Come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. Doesn't matter if you can sing on key or not. We have this thing that, uh, with our staff that whenever we have a, a birthday to celebrate, I'll acknowledge the birthday, but I'll quickly turn it over to somebody else on staff to lead the moment in singing. And then I'll join in. But he says... He says this as he says, come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, the Lord, he is God. Let's, we got to see this. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. I said it is, it is he who made us. The Lord made you. The Lord created you. The Lord put his identity upon your life. He stamped you. He made us. So if you're a man, be a man. If you're a woman, be a woman. Stop walking around trying to act like you can recreate as if the Lord made a mistake. He never made a mistake when he created you. You are who you are with a purpose and reason in mind. It is he who made you, not we. How dare we try to play God? How dare we try to going around, trying to act like we can make changes and alter who God's created us to be. God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't have an off day. You weren't an afterthought. It is he who made me. He who made you. Not we. Now you do have a responsibility to make sure that you keep everything looking right. But it's he who made us, not, not, not me. Not me. We are his people. Isn't that wonderful? There's ownership. We are his. I am his. Which means he is mine. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Not my pasture. Thank God, not my pasture. My pasture will lead to problems. His pasture will lead to promises. I'm the sheep of his pasture, and as quickly as I can allow him to be the good shepherd that leads my life, I'm going to be led to good pastures, not problematic pastures. If you want to see the Lord do something significant in your life, let him be your Lord, not just your Savior. I want him as Savior because I want my sins forgiven, and I want to be with him for eternity, but I also need him as Lord. Which means total ownership. Which means your life is a sacrificial offering every single day. You lay your life down so that he can be Lord over your life. Lord over your marriage. Lord over your finances. Lord over your emotional outbreaks that you have when they get your name wrong at Starbucks. Lord over every area of your life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like a principality got a hold of you because they spelt your name wrong. My name gets spelt wrong all the time. I'm Sean, S-E-A-N. Okay? Scene. The French way would be Seon. Elevated. Either way, though, the Lord is the Lord over, somebody say all. He's Lord over all. 
Here we go. Verse 4. Here is the roadmap that gets us into the house. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with... Mm-hmm. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and bless his name. Blessing his name is worship. I'm blessing his name in worship. So what we find out is that in this psalm, Psalm 100, in order for us to get into the house of the Lord, the house of worship, the house of prayer, the house of blessing, I need to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The book of Luke chapter 17, there's a story of 10 lepers. They cry out to Jesus, we need to be healed. Jesus says, show yourselves to the priests. And as they are making their way to showing themselves to the priest, they notice, wow, we just got healed. This is awesome. But one out of the 10 turns back, goes to the Lord and falls down at his knees in thanksgiving. And Jesus says, I thought there was 10. And Jesus says, because of your faith, you have now been made well or whole. The significance of this is the fact that there was 10 lepers, all were healed, which means the leprosy that caused their fingers, their toes, their nose, their eyes, their any other body part to fall off, that disease stops so no more body parts can fall off. But the one that came back to Jesus and got at his feet in thanksgiving, he says, your faith has made you whole, which means every body part that fell off regrew back. There is something about thanksgiving that allows you to access the healing and wholeness of Jesus. This is why when we're in worship, a lot of times, we have a moment of thanks or thanksgiving, whether we realize it or not, and what we begin to do is we say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for my family, yeah. right? What are we saying? I thank you, Lord, that my family is whole. I thank you, Lord, that I have my health. I thank you, Lord, for my job. It's an it's a act of thanksgiving, declaring wholeness in a given area that I'm being thankful for. And when I'm thankful to him, he allows a continual wholeness and healing to take place in our life. And so he says, enter the gates with thanksgiving. So I can't get through the gates without thanksgiving. But when I'm thankful, come through the gates. And now I get to park myself in the court of praise. And praise is so important. This is why you can't come to a service and just say, I'm going to get the word and not show up for praise. Because praise prepares the atmosphere for the Lord to move in your life. Praise speaks of God's greatness. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about this. He says this. Isaiah 12, 4, make known his greatness to all the earth. So my praise begins to make God's greatness known to all the earth. What is God's greatness, or, or how does God's greatness take place in my life? Well, he's great in every area of my life. He gives me victory. He blesses me. He prospers me. I praise him, not just for what he's done, but for what he is about to do. When David went up against Goliath, and he said, you come at me with sword, with javelin and spear. He says, but I come with the heavenly host, with heaven's army. It was a declaration of praise that God was going to go before him and take care of the situation on his behalf. Your praise puts God before you so that he can move for you. Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. The Israel, uh, Israel's army, or the army of Israel, excuse me, they were losing against the Moabites. And then they came in and they said, will you put all the praise, the praisers, at the front of the army and have them begin to praise the name of the Lord and his greatness? And the Bible says in Chronicles, when, when the praise team struck up and the drums began to rattle and the guitar began to play and the bass was slapped, because they were slapping some bass back in those days. It 
it says this, that the Lord ambushed the enemy. The Lord did. There is something when I live my life with a declaration of praise that God begins to move on your behalf in might and in power and in victory when I begin to let out a shout of praise. It serves notice on the enemy that my God goes before me. Praise declares the success of the kingdom in your life. So he says, I got to get into the courts with praise. But then it, I love how David writes this. He says, and I will bless your name. How is it that the one who is to bless us, the blesser, needs now us to come in and bless him? The Lord doesn't need your blessing, but we need the Lord's blessing. And he says the ingredient to release his blessing is to exalt his name and to bless him in worship. But now here's what happens. Worship has nothing to do with you. So when we come in, it's very easy sometimes to mistake the songs that, that, that we sing for what is praise, what is worship. Even when we leave from here, we'll put on songs and we'll... Worship is not about what I need the Lord to do for me. Worship is about who I am in, in lifting and exalting His name. And this is why before we go into the message or the sermon, I always say, let's take a moment, let's exalt His name. Let's get the attention off of us. Let's put the spotlight on Him. But here's the problem. Most people don't get out of the courts of praise and into the house of worship because praise has everything to do with me. I might be declaring his praise, but for whose benefit? It's my behalf. I want to praise him to give me victory on the job. I want to praise him to bring wholeness and, or, 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 or some type of resolve in the house. I get, I get caught up in my praise because praise benefits me, but blessing and worship benefits him. And so there's very few people that actually remain in the place of worship. Well, we gather on Sundays and we worship, but I'm not talking about when the music is playing. I'm not talking about when Spotify's got your best playlist going. I'm talking about a life of worship that you're on your feet or on your knees before the Lord. And you say, Lord, I look to you and you alone. Listen, church, I'm here to tell you something this morning. I want the blessing of God in my life. I want to be prosperous in my life. I want to see God do great and mighty things in our church. And he is, and we declare it, and we believe it. But there is another dimension that we have to get ourselves to. And that is learning and developing the lifestyle of worship. Because when you're in heaven, you're not starting a Fortune 500 company. When you're in heaven, you're not doing doctor's visits trying to figure out what's the next remedy you need to take for your, for your sickness. When you're in heaven, everything's full capacity. It's 100. So what are you doing in heaven? I'm worshiping. It's worship. And if you don't learn how to worship here on earth, you better believe when you are there, you are going to be uh, taught and be made to know how to worship when you're there. That's why I laugh when people say, yeah, but there's just too many people around. I don't like these mega churches. What do you think's happening when you go to heaven? It's the biggest mega church there is. Well, I'm just going to do church online. Not in heaven, you're not. I'm going to do a house church. Not in heaven, you're not. You're going to be worshiping the king. One of the greatest things, and this is not a, this is not a, a, a scripture, but I thought it was phrased so beautifully. When you're so intimate in the house of worship, it's as if you're steadying the crown on Jesus' head. Now, Jesus doesn't need you to steady his crown because he doesn't falter. But it's the idea that I am before him in such submission, in reverence, and in honor that I am just there to steady the crown of his glory. When I come into worship in this place, when we come together, gathering, I'm putting myself in that throne room, in that holy place, saying, Lord, if I could just, if I could just be a part of steadying the crown today, Jesus. That's, that's all that matters to me. 
And the beautiful thing is, when you get to that place, every other need prior to, you don't have to worry about it because it's already met. This is why he says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and what? All these things. We want to seek all the things, let the Lord perfect all the things, and then we'll go after his righteousness and, and everything else. No, friends. It's not that way. It's I'm seeking the kingdom in worship, and as a result, the fruit of my worship is all the things, all the needs, everything is met. But you got to get to this intimate place of worship that it goes beyond you. It goes beyond, it's, it's you at the feet of Jesus in worship. This is how you get into the house, and David understood this. You could take everything away but not your Holy Spirit. And I know the only way to not lose your Holy Spirit is to be in a place of submission before you. I cannot afford to get out of your presence. See, here's the thing, right? Check this out. You know what the original house of prayer and worship was when the Lord created us? It was the earth. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's in the fullness. What do you think Adam and Eve were doing in the garden when, he was, when they were created? The original house of the Lord was the earth. He walked with them. They were with the Lord in his presence. There was no need that was unmet. They knew what it was to talk with the Lord, with the good shepherd. They were right there in the garden. But they took their eyes off of the heart of worship. And they allowed the enemy to cause them to put their eyes on themselves. And it gave them heaven's eviction notice. I don't want to be evicted out of the presence of God because it's all about me. And sometimes we make our walk with the Lord all about me, but no, it's not all about me. It's all about Him. And when I focus on Him, then He meets me and through me, I can bring Him to others. Your seat at the table is not the only seat. There are other seats at the table and there's a world out there that's waiting on you to bring people to the table that they know that they've got an invitation to. I don't want to get removed out of the Lord's presence. David knew he didn't want to get removed out of the Lord's presence. There is something about when I come into that holy place of worship. And so he says, bless his name. Thanksgiving releases God's wholeness. Praise releases God's greatness. Worship releases God's holiness. Holiness. You can't see the Lord without living a life that's holy. And let me help you out now. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not perfectionism. Holiness is not the ten do's and don'ts that's on the wall when you walk into a church building. Holiness is not religion. Holiness is surrender. Paul says... Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brothers, now therefore present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy. Holy means to be set apart, not to look like the world. Let me tell you something. If we want to see the Lord in this place, it requires holiness, which means we got to get some things out of the way. You can't have it both ways. You can't be hot and cold and live lukewarm. And we want to see a greater move of God, but we're not willing to give up the idols that we worship. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying anything that I am not involved with or do as well. I got a phone. Instagram wants my worship. And so does every ad that is on there. But it's important because if these things get in the way, it will compromise what the Lord wants to do. Do you know that the things that you worship, they don't worship you back? We love things so much, they don't love you back. 
They don't care about you. They only care about what they can get from you. The things of this earth just take from us. But the things of heaven, it's a totally different story. So I need to live my life as a living sacrifice. What does it mean to live my life as a living sacrifice? That every day I'm not trying to achieve a level or a state of perfection. The Lord's not coming back for for me to be perfect. When he comes back, he'll make me perfect, but he's not coming back for me to be perfect. He's coming back to see, is my heart open, willing, hungry? Am I dying to self with my laying flesh down? He's looking at the heart. The key to holiness is looking at the heart. Is there anything in your heart that would compromise your ability to be set apart for the things of God? I don't want there to be one thing in my heart. Lord, make a pure heart in me. Search me, O oh God. Search me, Lord. Let there not be anything. And so, what we see here is that, that, that our ability to be in the house, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be out of this place of, of holiness, being set apart. It's interesting because when you think about what the house is, it's a house of worship, how to get into the house, thanksgiving, praise, and worship, right? So we're getting, we're into the house. And then you got to ask yourself the question, what, what is my place in the house? Because everybody has a place in the house, right? Everybody has a function in the house. Everyone has a function. And in our house, um, my, my wife is steadfast on making sure that she cleans the clothes so that they're done right. And I'm steadfast on tidying up because I hate things in my way. We've got functions in our house. Everybody has a place in the house of which you do something. David knew, if I'm going to remain in the house, I need to have my place. i got to figure out what's my space in the house. And the Bible says in Psalm chapter 84, verse 10, as he said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tent of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Now, oh, don't clap about a doorkeeper. Wait till you hear about a doorkeeper. <laughs> The doorkeeper had the responsibility that as the people of God would come into the temple, <laughs> they, would, they would check underneath all the men's robes to make sure that they were circumcised. That's what a doorkeeper did. He said, I would rather have the messiest job. But here's the deal. Why was he checking? Because of that time to be circumcised means that I was in covenant with God. I'm not allowing anybody that's not in covenant with the Lord in his presence. Do you not realize that our place in the house is the doorkeeper? That we have to protect the house by not allowing what does not belong in. He is a covenant-keeping God. And so when there are things that don't belong in, we have a right as believers to stop. And bring correction and direction for that. But the other part of the doorkeeper is they made sure that in the house, again, and we don't have time to teach on this, but in the house where the tabernacle of God's presence was, where the chest was, the mercy seat, all this stuff where the Lord's presence was, the doorkeeper made sure that the presence of God did not get contaminated and that the presence of God did not leave. Now I'm going to share this story because this is recent and I thought this was not funny. Earlier this week, uh, Madison Perez was watching our kids. She was at our house and um, I wanted to get a quick workout in before she left for the day and so she's watching uh, my children, say in Oakley. And so I wanted to go for a mile run, and I got maybe about 600 meters into my run, and I get a phone call from Madison, and Madison said, what's going on? She said, um, mm, we might have a little problem here. And I said, what's up? She's like, Saya locked me in her bedroom. <laughs> so I, I'm not by the house. So I turn, and I'm running, man. I'm like the flash trying to get back home. I feel like I'm running like the flash, but I ain't feeling like the flash. 
The ironic part, that was the day we were celebrating your birthday, and I had eaten like three pieces of cake. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> oh, it was hurting so bad. So I get back to the house, and Saya, my daughter, three and a half years old, is standing at the door. What are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do that. So I unlock the door. I slip Madison a 50. I said, let's not talk about this again. She leaves. Give my daughter a little timeout sesh. Let's reevaluate. Let's collect ourselves and find out why this happened. Now, some of you are probably trying to figure out why is she able to lock Madison into her bedroom? It's a parenting hack. If you don't want your kids to leave the room in the middle of the night so you can sleep soundly, flip the doorknob. I got a camera in there, had. She's good. I'm going to get a letter, an email. How dare you, Pastor? That's cruel towards your kids. Not until you try it. <laughs> so she says this. Why, 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 did, why did you do that? She said, because I did not want Maddie to leave. She still got time out. <laughs> she was at the door, keeping the door, because she did not want the presence of the one that she adored to leave. When you understand when David says, I am a doorkeeper, He's not there just welcoming people to church. He is there guarding the presence of the Lord because the one who he adores, he refuses to allow to leave. I would rather be a doorkeeper. Lord, if there's any place, let me be a doorkeeper. And I already shared it with you. The doorkeeper didn't have the best job. But you know what? As we serve the body of Christ, it's never clean. It's never easy. But man, when I know that I'm serving the body of Christ, when I'm a, a part of the body of Christ, whether it's serving a ministry or my life, serving my community in the way that I love, in the way that I honor, in the way that I give myself, when I live a life of servitude, it's protecting the presence of the Lord in my life. Because he looks at you and he says, wow, you're someone you're someone that I can use. David's heart was one of a servant. When I have the heart of a servant, the Lord says, I can use you. Now, where does the presence of the Lord dwell today? In me. Your house is here. I have to protect this house. I can't allow bad things to come in and good things to go. I need to protect this house. Lord, let me be a vessel for your presence. Because when I'm with your presence, your blessings are with me. Your goodness, your mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. And David knew if I can remain in the house, I'll always have goodness and mercy and blessing and presence of the king. I want to close with this this morning. I'm going to ask um, Pastor Kathy to come up. I can't wait as we prepare to minister in this song. It's so important to understand that in the house of the Lord, you have a responsibility. See, the Lord's the owner of the house, and we are the tenants. And as the tenants, we have to manage the house of the Lord. That's why God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, replenish. Guard the garden. Protect the garden. So you've got a responsibility to do something in the house of the Lord, not just sit there, kick back on a big fluffy couch, and binge on Netflix. I have a right in the house of the Lord to be productive, to be prosperous, to be fruitful. And so David says, I'm going to be a doorkeeper because I know that's a, that if I can be at that place, then I'm in the presence. The Lord doesn't want spiritual squatters. How many years do we just come to church, but yet we sit around and we do nothing? You're meant to be productive. You're meant to be prosperous. Yeah. You're meant to be a success. Yeah. 
You're meant to reach your world with life. We have a, we, we have a part to play in the house. And here's what I want to close with is, what should our desire be in the house? What should our desire be in the house? It's very simple. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. To inquire His temple means to search it thoroughly, and everywhere that I look, that I see Him. So if the house of the Lord is our heart, is our life, His presence dwells in it, I'm dwelling with His presence, it means everywhere that I look, everywhere that I inquire of the house, I should see Jesus. Everywhere that I, what do I desire? To seek Him. But also to see Him in everything that I do and everywhere that I go. David understood this, that the Lord is my shepherd and I'm not going to want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because He's with me. It's His rod and staff that comforts me. He prepares the table in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head, my cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy it follows me and because of all of these things I know that I will dwell and I will remain in his presence because everywhere that I go the good shepherd he's with me don't allow anything to separate you from the good shepherd because he is good and he is God Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and He wants to bless you.